what should you expect and what are you comfortable with? My, my partners and I, we joke around like, I want to make sure there's enough room that when I buy this thing, I can make multiple mistakes because I will and still be okay. You know, That's a great way to look at it. Know, it, it we, we, we joke around that pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I don't need to get, you know, filthy rich off of one. It's, I need some good, steady single hits, maybe a double here or there do that and I can build and grow. And that's that's the steady side that we're looking at. Welcome to Real Radio, episode 36 with Charles Tassel. You're listening to Real Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. Hey, so today's a little different. This is the first time I'm sitting at the table and I don't have Owen's ugly mug in front of me. I got a pretty (laughs) mug in front of me. Welcome, Jerry Schlickburn. Thank you. I'm proud to be here. Well, so what you might not know is that Jerry actually, Jerry and I started concepting this podcast initially. And Jerry went one way with her podcast. I went another way with another podcast. We did interview Owen. To be part of it, it was going to be like a three part, three person podcast, or mm-hmm. um, where we were going to trade each other out and to kind of keep it fresh. And so that, that's kind of funny that we're finally sitting here at the table doing this. It went the right way. So. You two are incredible at it, and like I am not as funny as Owen. I just let Owen. I just usually just let Owen talk, and then I, know. I just giggle in the background. <laughs> I know that's all you can do. But I, I am pr- I am excited to be here for this episode, and I am very honored that you chose <laughs> to bring me in for the big dog today. So Jerry's been on our wish list. Uh, for, we had her husband Mike Schlickburn on. I think probably what ten episodes ago, Denless. That 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 one is. A, let me let me find it. So I can okay. Uh, so we ha- we had Mike Schlickburn on and got some good content. And I know am I saying and and and? But we had. Uh, we talked about it, and he's like, well, why don't we have Jerry on? I was like, well, we're going to bring Jerry on separate because when we have one of you guys, we get a totally different story versus both of you guys at the same time. So we will get you on the podcast. But you know, sometimes when you have really close friends and business partners, it's really cl- good to have them in your in your pocket to say, hey, I am in a bind right now, and I really could use your help. <laughs> so you will get to hear Jerry's whole story. But let's give um, our listeners a little like 360 of who you are and what you do. So um, you, you're you really big into charity and giving, which we're going to get into the podcast, so let's not beat that end. But what tell us about your businesses and uh, give us a cool, quick little short of what each one does. Sure. So I've actually been in the real estate industry for 22 years and done just about everything that you can imagine in real estate. And now today, my husband and I own six real estate-related businesses, Schlick Construction, which does full construction, whatever you need done. Development. And development. Yep. yep. Um, Solid roofing and exteriors, which is just what it says. Mm -hmm. Roofing, siding, exterior, windows, anything exterior. Orange property management. We manage about 550 units, some of ours, but um, mostly third party. And DBG Realty Group at KW Elite, which you're my business partner in, Mm -hmm. and we run a sales team. And 
Let's see, that's four. So our fifth one is Dream Investing Capital Group, which is our investment vehicle. We have investors who own shares of that company, and we do most of our real estate investing now through that vehicle. And then our most recent one is Galaxy Title and Escrow. And don't forget your smash room. That is not real estate related. <laughs> we do own a smash room and an escape room at a property in Bellevue. What's because... kind of real estate related? Because you because you, you clean out properties <laughs> and, and, and you take all the stuff that people leave and you take it to the smash room to break, right? We do. So instead of paying money to dump it, we get paid money for people to smash it. See, it is yeah. real estate related. Yeah. Well, and it is because we actually built those businesses because we were having trouble finding tenants during COVID in 2020. And so our property manager, Austin, and my husband came up with this brilliant idea (laughs) to create these two businesses. But they're fun, and everybody should experience it. If you don't know what a smash room is, it's a great way to take out your anger on something (laughs) and not have to clean it up afterwards. So one thing that you have in common with our other host, Owen, is that you guys do have the title company together as a partner. We do. Yep. Yep. That's my first partnership opportunity with Owen. And we have a great group of partners. So the title company is growing by leaps and bounds, I think faster than anybody really could have imagined, Um, not just from the business we do, but we do business for anybody. And... It's been great. The title company has just been great. Well, and most of the companies you mentioned are sponsors of the RIA, so we appreciate that very yes. much. So um, look us up. Check out omaharia.com, and you can see all the sponsorship opportunities, and you also can find out what discounts those uh, those companies are providing our members. And just to give you an example, um, Orange Property Management, if you switch your portfolio over to them, they will give you a free month, uh, if you're a new client, a free month of um, of services. Yeah. So that's amazing. I've taken advantage of that. It's been great. Uh, solid roofing window will give you a 10% discount up to $5,000 on your project. I mean, who else is giving you roof discounts right now? Right. <laughs> I mean, well, we love to support the local investors. Yeah. And, and you do well. And you actually come to the events. So you're one of the sponsors that actually show up there. <laughs> we do. We love it. We can't always both be there since we have three small children. Yep. But we like we try to go to all of them. No, you guys are awesome. And it kind of give you the backstory here. I've actually known Jerry since pretty much the week that she came into town. We're not going to get all those details. Yeah. You can listen to Mike's episode <laughs> for that. But, uh, oh, no. <laughs> episode 23. <laughs> episode 23. There we go. But, uh, but the one thing you should know is I was working at a local foundation company and Jerry's husband, Mike, and I go all the way back to like 2002 timeframe. They would call me up and say, hey, Ted, we're looking at this property. There's a foundation that we're, uh, we're kind of questioning. There's one that specifically I remember in my head and the thing was just like awful. Probably one of the worst <laughs> I've ever seen. You told and, us not to buy it. I'm like, this one's way too gone. <laughs> and, uh, and then Jerry approached me and she's like, hey, we're going to bring you on sometime. And, uh, and it's like, we need to know your number and we're going to make this happen. And for the first six months that uh, we were working together you had a, your office building was kind of like this you know how we are here in the Rio office out of an apartment but it's out of a two-bedroom house and literally it was and it was kind of like this is like memory exactly sake. like this Ted. i was about to say that like this is not the first time you all have sat across here, from each let other. me put my laptop up this is exactly what it our laptops like. are literally touching uh top to top and then mike would come in i go it goes this is the only space for me to sit mike <laughs> but i learned so much during that time frame because i literally sat here and so 
soaked it all up. I'm like, she's like, okay, so you're going to do this, this, and this. And I got to listen to every business conversation and I learned immensely. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of give you a little backstory of how we, we led. had big dreams back then. And a lot of them have come true, mm-hmm. but I knew that you had to be part of it. So. And now I feel like, especially with, everything you're doing with the Ria and the Ria Radio podcast. I feel like within a couple years, I'm going to be the girl going, I knew him oh, back geez. when he sat across from me at my desk. <laughs> I taught him everything he knows. <laughs> she did teach me everything I know. I'm just going to be chopped liver. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Well, um, today, I, I wanted to give everybody a, like a, a little bit of overview of you and what to expect here. And, uh, you know, you do live public speaking. You're, you're doing you're, – you're giving back to the community all the time. And I knew that you would be one of the best options out there. Plus, you and Charles connect on a lot of levels. Yeah. And I think that uh, you're going to find this in today's episode. But – I mean, oh my goodness. What do you think about today? I know it was a long episode. We've been here for hours now. I am so grateful that you asked me to do this today, honestly. What a wealth of knowledge Charles is. You know, and he comes from a different background than pretty much all the rest of us investors. Mm -hmm. He started in politics and lobbying and was really working on behalf of investors before he became an investor. But he knows any legislation, everything that's coming down the pipeline. And you know me, I love to talk to him about macroeconomics, which I think he'll get into a little bit tonight um, at the RIA event. And I'm so excited for people to hear everything that he had to share today. Well, can I give you guys a heads up? This uh, The content was so good, and I, we just did not want to cut it off. So we are doing this in a three-part episode. So uh, first half, to, uh, we'll, you're getting to listen to it today. The next half will be released tomorrow. And then on Friday, uh, in perspective to you listening to this podcast, uh, we will have the actual live event so you'll have three episodes of Rhea in a row. I mean, what are you going to do with all that content? <laughs> and I, going into this podcast, Charles is aware of this and, and the team was, of course. So um, you will get a you, – you will not get the same content from our Rhea meetup as you're getting in this today. Today is really – deep into uh, Charles Y, his family, which, you know, that's, that's always a focus of ours. Um, you know, we get into, you know, how he raised his kids and still raising his kids, especially with his crazy schedule. Um, you know, he's been a multifamily investor. And just kind of give you some notes here. Um, he has been the COO of the National Rea now for seven years. He has been a director of government affairs for the Kentucky Apartment Association for 23 years. He was the council member in Ohio for seven years. Um, He's been married to Regina for 30 years. (laughs) He has three children all the way from uh, from 13 to 23. And uh, he's been investing in real estate for over 14 years now and has owned uh, well over 200 units at one one point. So um, you got – I mean – the one crazy part is he's like, what do you say? He's investing in banks, yeah, um, car washes. Uh, he's got he's got some small multi still. Mm-hmm. What else did he mention? Um, a few single families. I think he has over two hundred and fifty units right now. So he had two hundred and sixty three, I think, but he's actually sold most of that off. Okay, and so he he got rid of that. I know we don't dig too much into that today, but yeah. Um, and what I really liked 
about him was regardless of this giant resume that he has and what an impressive man he is, he's also very relatable mm-hmm. and just easy to talk to. I had a great, great dinner with him last night. We literally, he wanted to go somewhere that uh, we threw out some places and he's like, I want to go to the place that really screams Omaha. So we went to Garaz. Garaz. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, I was like, anytime you have Warren Buffett's cut out when you walk in, and, uh, you know, because it's his favorite restaurant. I go, you never know. He could be there. <laughs> but we got there, I think, around 6. And at 9.15, 9.30, we, we decided to walk out. Like it was, it was, I just yes. sat there, and I was just mesmerized by the conversation. And, he was, and it was just so easy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm going to tell you, I had been so intimidated. Just ask Dentless. Dentless, how, how worried have I been? You have been prepping since yesterday for this thing. Like since yesterday. <laughs> I think you've been prepping for months. I've been hearing about this, I think, for six months. Well, he was supposed to come in January, but he got COVID. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, it, um, and you filled in. Thank you so much for that, that re-event on the fly and just killed it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was. Um, it's, it's supposed to have been happening over and over again. Uh, I was told by other people in the National RIA that, you know, this is kind of like our gift since we've been growing so quickly here and, and just kind of get some ideas what's going on. And I, I literally at that dinner, I, I listened a lot, but I also had like some really deep questions because we have some expansion plans. Um, I, uh, we re- recently bought RiaNebraska.com. Nice. That's the first Congratulations. time it's, it's first time it's been announced. And we have some big things are going to happen, like where we are going to encompass the state and really take control of the meetup groups and and grow this group. I never in my life thought that <laughs> really, I, even though it was my goal, my my ten x goal for this was to get to five hundred. I remember when when I took over, mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I'll get to two hundred, maybe two fifty. And then I was like, and I read that ten x book, and and Grant Cardone's yelling at me, and, and, <laughs> and, and during, <laughs> and so I was like, I'm gonna do five hundred. And we had seventy four members at the time. I think tonight we'll officially be announcing at the meetup group, uh, hopefully I can announce it on the mic during the third event, that we have uh, eclipsed 400 Wow, Ted. Members. Congratulations. And, and I think with this growth plan that we are going to be launching over the next uh, two months that we can actually grow this group to over a thousand people. You know, I'm not, I'm not surprised you have put on so much hard work and dedication and you have done exactly what us investors needed, which is create a really powerful, impactful, useful group for us all to be a part of. And I do want to say one thing, your, the group here locally is so strong. Everybody loves it. I don't think that everybody realizes how much they can also get from the national RIA by being a part of the local RIA. And I hope that that gets conveyed throughout this podcast as well as the event tonight. It's actually, in my opinion, probably my biggest failure that uh, by not exemplifying the amount of uh, benefits that the national RIA brings to member, because I think that we have some of the smallest numbers uh, I, I, we had the, um, Home Depot, uh, representative, the national representative in town. Actually, I think it was during your event and so. cause Charles was supposed to be here and they originally came in for that. And they, uh, he, and I think they told me that we have the lowest, uh, recip- uh, rate of people actually using the benefits out of mm-hmm. all the RIAs. And then I'm like, uh, I'm like, just mind blowing. I'm like, that's on me. I wouldn't look at it as a failure though. You've done some incredible things and you can start tonight. 
and moving forward just encompass all of it. And it's just going to be that much more impactful. We post your articles on the on our Facebook pages. Check it out. That way you can see what's going on. And uh, we'll keep it up. But in the news today, we got a little special from Charles Tassel. Let us know what's going on. So we're watching at the national level, um, new regulations coming out. Again, a lot of log jams on the legislative front, but on the regulatory front, what we're seeing, uh, lead issues and radon. And we're expecting some new regulations to come out. There'll probably be some proposed regulations to come out, both on lead and on radon. And then we'll be giving feedback, communication on that, and asking members to reach out and participate. And then probably by the end of the year or even going into next year, there will be new rules on lead, lead paint, as well as radon and testing for radon. So we're right here in a super fund area. And so um, they're coming through. They, they like On this building right here, they want to come remove all the soil or what, four inches of soil, put new soil in front and back, mm. and uh, and then give me a special uh, vacuum cleaner. Uh, the HEPA vac. <laughs> the HEPA yep. vac. Yep. And, uh, and all that's taken care of for no charge. Okay. Now... Uh, so that's one thing that, you know, I'm familiar with. I don't know the specifics on it. I know there's no money on my personal pocket. And that's <laughs> there's, specifically there's money for, for yeah. lead in Omaha because we have a lot of lead east of 72nd, mm-hmm. north and south, about as far north and south to what, Q Street? I don't know. I that. think. Yeah. If, you're, if you own a property there that has never been tested, the city will come out and do those things for you. I've had one house treated, and uh, and like it was my grandma's home, mm-hmm. and I, they came through, removed all the soil, put new sod in, got got a vacuum. I, I, I find it interesting that they're actually taking out the soil because a lot of times the 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 spec the recommendation from EPA originally was as long as you have an inch covering, which grass is considered a covering, so it's bare soil that's really the problem, but. Buildings built before 1978 typically had lead paint on the outside, mm-hmm. and if that deteriorates, that causes a problem, and typically within a couple of foot of the building, not all the sod around, but just literally a couple of feet where the dirt is. So, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, they're stripping the whole entire yards out. Leave it to the government to go the extra wow. mile. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then radon, if you guys aren't familiar with radon, um, our area here in the Midwest is really high. If I remember right uh, from when I was, used to be certified... Um, Iowa is number one, Missouri is number two, and three. Nebraska is number three for the highest radon levels. And what radon is is the breakdown of uranium in soil, which is generally found in heavy clay soil areas. You mean there's uranium? All this radioactive stuff? What should we do? Oh, well, we should mine it. <laughs> <laughs> but but and, and, and that's part of the panic that that's caused when somebody say, oh, radon, okay, we got to test for that. And you say, what is it? That's when there's sometimes some panic levels. But what, what really is the problem? So what, what's happening is that the uranium is breaking down in, in, in the ground. This gas comes up through through the ground. And generally, if you have cracks in your uh, walls, cracks in your floors, or if you have an open sump pump pit, the, these gases come up through those areas, which give you elevated levels. My personal advice is um, if you feel that you have high levels because you tested, and testing is pretty cheap, start off by caulking all those cracks Put a piece of steel plexiglass over that sump pump pit and then retest before you get too worried because a lot of times that can alleviate a lot of issues. Also, here's a little golden nugget. 
if you uh, have um, a crawl space, it gets a lot more pricey. So all that needs to be encapsulated. Generally, the plastic, usually it's a, like a 20 or 10 mil thick polymer that goes over it and it's caulked and sealed to the walls. Before you spend all the money, you put that suction point in and put a fan in. Test after that because you might not need to spend that extra $1,000 because just sealing it all off can take care of it in a lot of situations. And, and very similar to mold when you're doing testing, make sure you air it out good, mm -hmm. then let it sit because otherwise you're going to have a leftover residual. So make sure that you've got thing, everything cleared out, let the air change over, and then let it sit for a little bit to find out if you really do have a testing issue or a problem. And I mean, a lot of people think radon's fake. I dealt a lot of that when I was doing radon sales mm -hmm. back in the day. Uh, but I also ran a lot, of, ran across a lot of people that lost spouses that never smoked a cigarette in their day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, I've seen ratings of 40, 50, 60 in houses, oh, wow. which is crazy high. Uh, I, in my own personal house, I've had a rating as low as 12. I put a, I put a cover on my sump pump pit and guess what? It went down to below one, but wow. every level of one, I mean, it's been years since I've done this. Uh, jury actually recruited me out of this company, but I believe, uh, that every single one peak leader is equivalent to smoking three cigarettes a day. If you're in your home, an average of eight hours a day. So, and the government says that level four is safe. So if it's at four, it has to be regulated. If it's below mm -hmm. four, it does not have to be mitigated. I should say not regulated. Right. That's interesting. In all my years in real estate, I don't think I ever saw a reading over 20. So that is that is high. And I know I've always taught my team up until the last couple of years when you can't even get a home inspection in order to buy a house anymore. But prior to that, I we always... Taught everybody to get a radon test because you maybe don't need it now, but in five or 10 years, when you go to sell it, it will probably be legislation, which it sounds like that is coming true now. Yeah. We're, like I said, we're looking at regulation. We're not sure what the details are going to be. They're kind of giving a heads up that this is coming and here's what to expect. So it's, it's one of those when you're dealing with the federal process, it does take time. But we'll see where this goes. And it's the same for the lead because any buildings built before 78, you've probably got lead paint somewhere in it. Second, I believe it's the second or third leading cause of death by lung cancer uh, worldwide. Radon? Radon. Radon. Yep. Wow. And why is lead coming back up? It hasn't been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my. My tongue-in-cheek answer is money, but my real answer is money um, <laughs> because the, the simple fact is when it comes to um, childhood lead poisoning, the levels have been dropping since 78 very mm -hmm. steadily, and they've gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And the problem is now you're down to a few isolated cases, but well, what there isn't is a good base level of education on lead. I just heard a, a gentleman the other day making a comment about, well, these kids keep eating these paint chips. That's, <laughs> that's really not what's going on. And what happens is you get lead paint, especially windows, older wood windows, they have a friction surface. You get a little as bit of dust. As you're pointing at my windows here like, in, the, in the building. Like, again, this is not a painted, but sometimes the old, the actual stains actually had lead in the stains. Just so you know, I ordered windows for this, this uh, whole entire unit. Uh, probably about 
three months ago. <laughs> Still and waiting. in about three to six months, you might see them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, might is the key word. <laughs> so, and it's really those friction surfaces. Like everybody as, as realtors, you've given out the books. Everybody has to give out those books. Mm-hmm. Actually open them and look at them. There's some interesting things in there. And they talk about with, you know, lead, how many micrograms per deciliter in the blood level you can have. And when is it, when is it acceptable versus when it's not acceptable. And that, that little bit of dust and what will happen is a kid will walk over there with a pacifier in their mouth, drop the pacifier down in the trough of the window. They look out, call out something, pick up the pacifier, which now has this dust on it, put it in their mouth. Well, if they're getting healthy food, the body may or may not take that lead in because what will happen is before six years of age, the nervous system confuses lead with iron. So what it does, it stores that lead in the bones waiting for a need for iron when the, when the body calls for iron. Well, the body calls for iron when it's developing not only blood, but also when it's developing nerves in the brain. So what happens is there's a neuron fire, and when the neuron is put in there with lead instead of with iron, it doesn't fire. So then you start getting brain damage. So it's, it's very important for kids under six and for pregnant women to make sure that they are not around lead dust or that it's very minimal and making sure it's isolated and taken care of. So it's, it's very manageable and doable, but understanding where the causes are, typically friction surfaces or lead that's bre- or paint that's breaking down. You know, if it's cracked, chip, or peeling, fix it. Simple as that. Fix it. Charles, can you just pre-record all of our news segments for us <laughs> every, every every week for us? Can we just call you up really quick, give us a little something, and we'll just use that in the podcast? We may have to do that. We may have to do that. So That'd be awesome. Man, I didn't know that. I mean, we wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for Charles Tassel. No. I mean, wow. No idea. <laughs> hey, well, with that, uh, Jerry, what about today's golden, golden nugget? nugget? <laughs> Jerry, what's the golden nugget that you have for everybody today? So in my coaching and training, I always talk about the importance of having a, a success team around you. And this is everybody from who you are, for me, Ted, helping me run the real estate team, to um, lenders, contractors, home inspector, um, nanny, if you need one, you know, just your whole entire team. And then how important it is to really have relationships with those people that they know, like, and trust you. And with your core people that they become really close friends, you know, advocates for you. And so one of my um, best team members is Josh Berry with Premier Bank. I hope I can yeah, mention yeah, shout, names shout, here. Shout them out. Shout them out. <laughs> he he has just been incredible for us over the years with our um with with our real estate investing and growth. And we have a project that we were wanting to do a cash out refinance, and it's a big project. the The cash out will be at least half a million dollars. And Josh went to bat for me, um, not thinking there would be any issues. But as you guys probably know, who are trying to do cash outs, every bank. The rules seem to be changing every week on what they will do as far as cash outs with this more volatile um, interest rate, you know, environment that we're in. So he got to the two decision makers and one said yes and one said no, because they've decided that they want investors to have cash in, even though it's an easy deal. If somebody bought the deal at the terms that we're at, they would they wouldn't even bat an eye, but they've just decided they want investors to have some cash in the deal. So Josh called me 
and talked to me through it and then said he had options. And one of the options was to go to like a sister bank that they work with a lot when they're doing TIF projects or larger projects. And TIF is tax increment financing. Tax increment financing. Yep. And so he literally sent, got my permission and literally sent my package to the sister company. And within 10 minutes, the lender said that they're interested in doing it. Can we mic drop? Mic drop. And, and a fist pump. <laughs> and a fist pump. <laughs> so the, the golden nugget there is to have team members who you'll go to bat for and they'll go to bat for you. And... Keep your options open, you know, like my husband does not take no for an answer when he decides that he wants (laughs) to do something, you know, um, like our first development project, everybody told him no, and it's the project's almost done and we're getting a ton of interest and everyone's excited about it. Um, So, you know, when someone tells you no, ask 10 other people, it might, you might get a yes with the first one, but it might take 10, it might take 20. And so find those people and keep pushing. I tell you what, um, I had a similar situation before we get into the podcast. I, I had this, uh, this five unit we're in uh, going through the refi and it fell through, long story short. And they, were, they didn't fall through. They just weren't willing to do what I needed to get done. So I had uh, Jason Gray at the Exchange Bank. Uh, he's in one of my networking groups. He's like, he's like I can get that done. And I go in a very tight time limit. And he stepped up and he's like, he's like, nope, I want to be involved with this and got the numbers exactly. He promised everything he promised it happened, but it was because the relationships that I was able to make in the industry and, and making impressions. And yeah. it, it was, a, it was really impactful and it really kind of saved my rear. So yeah. I, I totally, totally think that you need to keep your options open and keep your, and keep your team close. So I'm, I'm a firm advocate. Relationships matter. They do. Well, this is a long podcast, so I don't want to stretch this out too uh, too much. But I think it's time that we get into our podcast with Charles Tassel. So one thing that we always like to get into in our podcast, and generally it's a little bit farther in, is we like to get into like generational wealth and kids and plans. And um, in our introduction, we talked about um, you having three children from uh, from thirteen to twenty three, right? Correct, and which is a, a big spread. It is a little longer than we expected, but you know, when the first one's real colicky, you wait a little longer before you have the next one. So, our, that's our middle child. We had to wait four years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she's what six? She's six, <laughs> and she's still a handful. So, well, twenty three, still a handful. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Well, uh, one thing that I was uh, thought was kind of fun is um, we, every time I, I have somebody in here, I always like to ask them, what is it that you do to try to bring business into the, the kid's life? How do you, how do you introduce it? Um, we I think we all have our way. I think, I think Jerry can say for herself, but she definitely includes her children in everything. They go everywhere with her. There was a time where anytime we would get in the car, they would say, are we going to look at a house? (laughs) We're like, nope, this time we're going on vacation. (laughs) This time we're going to the grocery store. (laughs) Well, see, and to me, that's absolutely critical. So part of what Ted and I were talking about is there's kind of a a general introduction, which is take them with you. Mm -hmm. You would be amazed. Children are sponges. They absorb everything. They're watching. They're listening. Even when you think they're out in digital world, they're still picking stuff up. And that is where it's been amazing to me, listening over the years. And now, even as they're older, like my 19-year-old said, well, dad, we used to spend every summer doing this. I'm thinking, 
no, you didn't. But, you know, it, it, like their whole summer was with me. They never got any party time, never relaxed, never stayed by the lake. Or, but that's if you, if you listen to their memories of it and how they talk about it. But they see the benefits of it from learning how to speak to adults, learning being in an adult world, and then also learning what does it take and understanding that, you know, you're going to make mistakes. How do you figure things out? How do you work through issues? And, you know, sometimes that means meeting with somebody who, you know, I'm in the political world, whether it's on the opposite ends of the spectrum or somebody who is absolutely opposed to what you're working on and working through those kind of things. So that's kind of on the general side. So keep bring them with you. Keep bringing them with you. Um, you know. That's a huge lesson, what you just said um, about working through things, whether people agree with you or not. Absolutely. That, that is a life almost, lesson that you... Almost a lost art. Yeah. It's... It is completely getting to be a lost art. You can't even bring up something you disagree with someone on. And that's what I try to teach my children is it's okay to disagree. If we all thought exactly the same way, the world would be a very boring place. Well, and, and trying to be able to share with somebody, that typically means listening to them first and actually listening, not just forming your argument to counter them or trying to persuade them that you're right. That doesn't necessarily work, but actually sharing back and forth and listening to each other, you can learn tremendous amounts why they got to that decision point. How did they get there? What's, you know, what's their why, as it were? So that's, that's one of the key things in just learning that. Um, I, I, I shared with Ted that my daughter, when she was about nine, we were up at a state event and one of the senators finished speaking, came over, we chatted a little bit and he looked at her and talked to her and she's like, well, hello, Senator, how are you? Greeted him. And he looked at her and he said, young lady, you have such great poise. And she said, thank you, Senator. And I'm sitting there with my eyebrow raised, kind of like, hmm, okay. So he, he went off and we moved off a different direction. I said, we were by ourselves. I said, question for you. Do you know what the word poise means? She said, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, you did just fine, sweetie. <laughs> so, yep. She knew enough to know it was a compliment. Exactly. And just went with it and rolled with it and figured it out. And, you know, this, I, there's a phrase I learned in – in college. And I think it was probably one of the best things I learned in college is actually from my RA. He posted it on his door and it said, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. <laughs> and that's, you know, nice. that's uh, my business partner's wife. I actually made a little poster of that for her because she gets, she's very um, OCD and will get focused on things. And it's like, blessed are the flexible. They shall not be bent out of shape. And whether it's a business deal going crazy, we, we took four years to purchase one property. Wow. Four years. Yes. Oh, wow. I, I'm not kidding on that. When you're buying a property. Is that you're going to be your failing forward later? <laughs> Actually, that was not even. That was, that's when you're trying to buy a property with HUD yep. and it's got low income uh, property. It's, it's, yeah. it's got all the strings on it and you're waiting on HUD. Oh my word. That's. Aren't, they, aren't they the best landlord also? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're your, they're your quote unquote partner on it. Yeah. And that's, that is miserable. <laughs> yeah, I have so many questions. <laughs> I used to do short sales and mm -hmm. I had short sales that took two years and that is worse than a two-year short sale. Well, and, and everybody thinks short sale, oh, it's going to be quick. No, yeah. short sale does not mean <laughs> no. quick. That's talking about the dollar amounts, the not opposite. the speed of it. Yep. That's, yep. oh, so. So going back to the kids, Ted mm -hmm. mentioned something about gumball machines. So, I, so I, I mentioned bringing them with you is a, is a general issue, 
The other one is on a specific side is how do you train your kids? And, and kind of Kiyosaki's mindset of how do you train your kids in money? Uh, again, I, I grew up, we didn't really have that much conversation on money. Be careful, save, you know, don't waste your money was about the farthest we got. Um, no disrespect to my parents or anything. It's just that it wasn't a conversation point. Mm-hmm. And so how do you teach them? And one of the things I was trying to teach them was the whole idea of passive income and building assets. So we started off when my son was about seven, eight years old, uh, bought him a little gumball machine. And we talked about what it was going to be. He had to go around and find a place. So I walked with him. He went to some local businesses, uh, local Ace Hardware in Deer Park. Thank you for them. <laughs> they allowed him. They He you know put his little uh, j- uh, shirt and tie on, went out there and introduced himself and asked if he could, you know, put a gumball machine in there. And they said, you know what, you can do it. And there's no placement cost. Just maintain it. Um, one of the ladies that was one of their clerks there was actually went to church with us. So if anything was wrong, she really called quickly. But, you know, he, he had to go up and make sure maintained it, keep the candy in inventory, kept a track of it on Excel and did that for, you know, probably 10 years. And just, you know, it anywhere from eh, five to $15 a month was kind of where it started. But when you're seven, eight years old, nine years old, extra $10, $15 a month that's in your pocket that you're not going, hey, mom, dad, can I go get a candy bar? Can I get, you know, and learning that independence. Money had a little more value than too, though. It, it, it did. It <laughs> did. It was, you know, it was a bigger dollar amount. And as he paid it off and bought a second one, started getting to around $30 a month and paid that one off. Now he's getting $30, $40, $50 a month. Now it's okay. I can spend some money on some things and get some little things. And just, but he also learned the value of it. So, and his sisters to this day will still, if they're looking for something, they go to him to do some internet search to look because they know he'll find the most, the best value. Nice. So it's, it's, you know, it's a training process and it's not all the kids are the same. Some of them take to it better than others. I'll leave it at that for <laughs> recording purposes, but yeah. it's, it's, you know, some of them are in the process and still learning. So it's been, it's been good to see that training and then the benefits of it, and especially as they get older and able to tell you, yes, this was a really good experience for me. That's been very helpful. You know, it's funny you bring that up because we talked a little bit about my son and his project. And just this morning during breakfast, Carson's going to be at the re-event tonight and he's going to help set some flyers up and stuff. And he goes, hey, is, is our inventory in yet? And what we're doing is is we're doing RIA mugs. So we're going to do some, some Yeti ones with the RIA logo on them and do some cheaper ones. And he saved up like four or $500 now. And he's going to pay pay for it. And I'm going to be an investor in his business. And he's going to set a table up and sell them. And, yeah. and, but they're not, they're not done yet. And he's, he's really upset that they weren't done yet. And I'm like, I'm like, I've talked to them. I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting. And so I'm, we're going to, I'm going to do the, I'm going to take your advice with the Excel sheet mm-hmm. uh, and, and let him fill in those numbers. Cause he's actually top of his class in math. So I think he'll actually enjoy that. But um, he, he's going to keep an inventory and track his pricing, and then he's got to pay me out as a partner. Wow. <laughs> yeah. and, and Jerry, I told, I told Ted last night, I said, you know, one of the things about the Excel sheet was I was helping my son set it up. Now I call my son and go, hey, on Excel, how do you do this? He's like, well, Dad, YouTube will show you, but here's how you can do it. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but he knows it far better than I do at this point. And, it, and it, again, it gave him additional skills that were beyond even what I was originally thinking. Yeah, I'm going to steal these ideas, you guys. I'm so impressed. My girls are coming to me wanting paid for chores. And I don't like that concept Mm -hmm. because I feel like we all should pitch in for 
living in our home, we all should pitch in. And I don't feel like I should pay them, you know, like an allowance just for doing that. And then my oldest daughter has more struggles in school starting to click now, but she wants to get paid for like leveling up in her grades. I'm like, this is just part of the deal, sister. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, like you don't get paid for this. So I like this because now I can say, hey, here's some ideas that you can get paid. And and it it gets them out of the habit of going, mom, dad, I need some money. Mom, dad, I need some money. It's like, you've got some money. You've got your spending money. You're not having to do, this is, this is family. This is the work we do as family. So from there, how do we now, now how do you learn to do other things and get income that way? I like the idea too because I think people can become or children. I mean, we're seeing it with how people talk about the millennials. Mm-hmm. They become so expective. You know, like mom and dad are doing well and so therefore my life is just going to be good. And the truth is life wasn't easy for those of us who are doing well now. You know, we had to get there the hard way. And I don't want to raise the kids that uh, become the trust fund babies. That's, yeah, I guess I, or, or so expecting that, well, what do you mean I have to start at the bottom? Well, you yeah. know, I, I joke around that, you know, my, my lobby consulting company, there are people like, oh, you're the president of that. I'm like, yeah. And I take the trash out too. What's your point? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's, there's things like that. But the, one of the things I think is entrepreneurs helping other entrepreneurs and thinking next generation is to do what the guys at Ace did, which is when you see, you know, kids along the street and they're setting up a lemonade stand, I know you're busy. Stop. Buy the lemonade from them. You know, mm-hmm. it is so important. If we don't support other entrepreneurs, especially these young ones, you're either going to help them that way or you're going to pay for it long term in taxes. Yeah. I am a sucker for kids. <laughs> a kid selling anything I buy. I can't help it. I've always. Oh, man. I'm glad I live in the country now because when I lived in town, oh my gosh, they knew which house to come to. <laughs> my girl, my Girl Scout cookie supply is strong. Yeah, Amen. Yeah, Amen, brother. <laughs> I, We're going to have to start reselling them out of our house and get rid of them. <laughs> my, my wife's always like, she'll see that the camera, or the, the, the kids come in the door with the candy bars. She, she's got a point. She's like, no, you do not go look at the answer that door. She like, intercepts you, you. She's like, you can't say no. <laughs> No. And you shouldn't. You know what? No. That's, uh, there's there's times though I've seen also, and I've seen people will do this. They'll go, you know what? Here's a buck. Thank you for doing this. You know, or give me your pitch. Great, that was your pitch. Okay, work on this. Here's your dollar. Ooh. I do not need the calories, so I'm going to make a donation to this, and on they go. And that helps them as well. You know, you you can either help That's them. A great idea. Never, I've never heard that before. I love yeah. that. So I, I've seen that on the donation side as well. Just just give them a buck or two, and you know, or whatever it is. You know, sometimes I've asked, and it's okay. It's fifteen dollars for this. What does the school actually get for that? What do you actually benefit? And they're like, well, we get six dollars of it. Here's six bucks. Oh, Keep nice. going to the next one. You're doing well. Make sure you stand up straight mm-hmm. <laughs> and move on to the next one. That's great. So that's great information on how you're getting your kids started with generational wealth. I was curious of how you got started. I think I heard that you were started in politics and lobbying before you were an investor. Absolutely. Correct? I've been doing the government side of things. My mom praying for me to be out of it many times or still, I think. But it's one of those ones where we we're actually on a trip um, up to a legislative meeting and I was working. I was driving up with a couple of uh, guys who owned apartments. One of them had about 1,200 units. Another one had, I think she had 68. And, and 
we're driving up and one of them looks at me and goes, when are you going to get invested in this? I said, what are you talking about? And the issue was, I said, I get called in whenever there's a fire and fire in the you know metaphoric sense of there's an issue, there's a building inspector problem, there's a crisis with a water issue, any kind of crisis is when I got called in to put the fire out. And they said, you know, we do make money at this. I said, okay, nobody's talked to me about this part. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's explore this. And so that was early 2000s. We started exploring more of it. And over the next probably two years, I really spent some time learning, listening, and watching and realized we were kind of headed towards that bubble side of things. So we were watching it and trying to figure out what the best way to do it. I ended up with a partner, um, close friend of mine. We've been uh, deacons and elders at church together. We've you know lived down the street from each other. And he was actually over at my house. We were doing some remodeling and working through things in 2008 and said, you know, there's some really inexpensive houses out there right now. Let's let's keep an eye out on things. So we ended up started to plan to do weekend warriors and of course lost our shirts on that first house. It took us forever to do it. But while we were working on it, we learned a tremendous amount. And one of them was don't overbuild in the, compared to where your, you know, your building is located. That was the first one. Um, but we, from there, started looking at some small multifamilies and started thinking in terms of cash flow and growing from there. And then from as we, as you know, the economy kept going down in nine and 10 realized, you know, there's actually some single families or not single families, some occupied multifamilies that we could purchase rather than even the vacant ones. So we moved that direction, bought some small multifamilies, 14 unit, um, 26 unit building, a 24 unit building and started growing those. And some of those were sheriff sales, which is interesting when you're doing the auction and bidding and then you're realizing how much you're bidding and you go up to, sh- you know, go up to sign for it afterwards and your hand's shaking because you're like, I just did, what did I do? Oh my word, you know, and it's just working through it. And eventually you get to a point where, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's going to cost $8,000 more. Okay, let's move on. Okay, we got that. You know, for the first time you're like, it's going to cost $800. Yeah. Uh, we got 600 Now what are we going to do? You know, and, and working through those kind of things. Yeah. So people that don't know what a share sale is, can you explain that a little bit further? So if something is, somebody has not paid their property taxes or they haven't paid the mortgage, the property end up goes, goes into a foreclosure process. And typically with banks, it may take three, six, nine months. Some of the banks, it takes longer than that. And what will happen is usually the county will repossess the house per se, and they put it up on the sheriff's sale. Some people will move out. Some people won't. So you need to know the property and they'll list it usually anywhere from two, three weeks in advance. And the property goes at whatever they appraise it at. And it usually starts at about two thirds that for a bit. Sometimes the banks want to buy it back for what the mortgage is. Sometimes the banks are like, sell it at any price. I don't care. I want it out of here. And so you've really got to kind of do your homework on them. And that means going out and looking at it. And again, it's somebody else's property. So you can't be there. So you got to be careful on how you do that. Um, Typically, it means you're not seeing the inside unless you if it's in receivership and you know who the receiver is, if they're allowing it to be looked at. Um, so there's a lot of unknowns. And the other side to it, this is one of those little tricky things. A lot of times the sheriff will not release the title on a property until they are fully paid. So banks aren't typically going to give a loan until they've got title. So you've got this catch-22. You've got to resolve that, whether it's you know a hard money lender, a bond insurance, different things that you can do on it. And being able to resolve those going in then you can find some pretty decent deals even in a tighter market. And to be clear, and 
it depending on it depends on the county. Douglas mm-hmm. County does trustee sales, which are basically the same thing as a sheriff sale, only the title gets transferred or the process goes through a trustee or an attorney. So um, for the, our local investors, Douglas County does trustee sales and like Pottawatomie County in Iowa does sheriff sales. Hmm. So have you yeah. done any of these? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, <laughs> I have. Um, I have not bought a house. I have represented other people who've bought a house and at a trustee sale here, when you win the bid, you have to pay $3,000 immediately. Mm -hmm. And then within 24 hours, you have to wire the balance of the funds. So it's pretty much always a cash transaction and then you can get financing. And there's also, I'm not sure on sheriff sales, but there's typically a special warranty deed Mm -hmm. or a general warranty deed because the title company only has a couple days to transfer title. And so they make they reserve some exceptions in case something were to come up on title later. So that's another risk that you take with these kind of properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause see ours, ours, it's once it goes through that foreclosure process, it's clear. There's you, you, you're a creditor beforehand. You're out at the point it goes through the sheriff's sale. It's cleared. So you've got a nice clean, albeit, you know, sheriff's deed, but it's a deed anyways. And that's how it should be. I think that, I think the issues are, if somebody were to file a lien at the exact same time, mm. or if somebody had a claim to title, uh, an ex-wife was never officially removed properly, or you know, a, a whatever, a sibling or a child or something ten years ago was never removed from title mm. from title properly. I think that's the only time, or the only um, type of exceptions that I have seen actually come up. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's- that's a that's a difficult one because as soon as you start talking title mess, now it gets expensive and everything gets held up. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There, it's a great way to buy properties though, especially if you have the resources and you're not afraid of the eight hundred dollar expense. You know, at that point, well, I know it, a lot it, of people have made a lot of money that way. Well, and that's where you know I'll, I'll make a Ria plug here because that's where I like to get into my network of people I've developed through Ria, and then they are actually there and go, okay, wait a second. You know, whether it's somebody who's already been through it, I can call them and go, I think I got a problem here who will talk me through something to, you know, good real estate investors, to good realtors, to good attorneys and having those as resources that I can now go, okay, I'm stronger because of them. Now I can go ahead and move forward with this. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited to talk more about the RIA, but I have a question okay. about you. Um, before the real estate, Talk about what you did in politics and lobbying. Well, it's not just a before; it's been a during and ongoing. Okay. So it's it's I, I'm still involved in politics. As I said, my mom still prays for me on that. <laughs> um, it's I've done a, a variety of tasks, everything from being staff from at Cincinnati City Hall to um, working with congressmen on one side to doing lobbying. I've been a, a registered lobbyist for many years, a couple decades plus. And what that looks like in terms of meeting with people, um, I, I am a Republican. It's a known fact I'm Republican. That's, you know, but I also work with both sides of the aisle. Um, I have a very close friend of mine who is a very active Democrat, and we work on different projects together, uh, including a little C3 where we target, um, you know, anti gun violence. Now, I'm a concealed carry kind of guy, I, you know, very pro NRA, all that. 
but we're the guys who actually get the guns out of the hands of the bad guys nice. and put them in the hands of the good guys. So it's, it's an interesting approach. And again, we find it been, you know, when you're working across aisles and start thinking in terms of, you know, part of our pitch when we first brought this up was a bullet doesn't care. You know, once a bullet's fired, it didn't matter who it was. And, but that also gives entryway and into other conversations, into discussions. And I'm a little bit of a policy geek on one side of things. I enjoy it. I'm one of the guys who actually sits down with a piece of legislation and reads it and goes, okay, wait a second, your unintended consequence is X. So that's one of the benefits that I have in my skill is being able to consolidate a hundred page document going, okay, it does X, Y, and Z, and it needs to do Z, Z, because if it does it this way, it's going to have this unintended consequence. So that's one of the benefits. That's incredible. So you were lobbying for real estate investors before you were an investor. Absolutely. Wow. How does that happen? (laughs) I mean, because you've only been investing for, you know, 14 years and you, you were in politics before that, right? Correct. So well, you, you've, you've learned the business. Well, part of it is on the politics side, you're, you're learning and growing and you're always expanding. You're always expanding your network. Um, you know, the, the, the seven, you know, was it seven degrees of contacts and you're always building your contacts. Um, I had to change my cell phone one time and they, this is back in the day where they did it for you and they changed, they were updating it. He comes out, says, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I do lobbying and real estate and such goes back in, comes back out and goes, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, this is <laughs> odd questions from the guy who's handling my phone. And he's like, I said, is there a problem? He says, I've not had anybody who's had this many contacts in their phone and it's taking a while. <laughs> and he goes, there's, there's one other guy who's got more contacts at the end. He was, and he was like a thousand above where I was at. And that was a retired realtor. Who I was had, just gonna say that. That's exactly who it was. So I was like, I'm like, okay, because he just it threw him for a loop. Like, how do you have so many contacts? You're not that old. And I was like, well, thank you, I appreciate that. So you know, it's just it's all about who I you know. I was afraid he was downloading your contacts or something. He was recognizing people and he was gonna blackmail you. Yeah. It's, how many did you have at, at the time? It was only, I mean, several thousand. So, but you know, that was. This is our this is our guy here, Ted, who has they make fun of my contacts. <laughs> I thought I had a lot. I think I have a couple thousand. Ted has seven. I think I just hit <laughs> seven thousand. That's absolutely. It's all you about should you know. be a politician, Ted. <laughs> Literally everywhere we go, everybody knows him. Well, see, I was leaning on him last him. night about that. So right? here's some things to consider. Yeah. I would rather just kind of help, you know, like you were talking about, you just kind of help with some things and I, I would be all about that. <laughs> so, so one of the things I'll tell you is, so I was a council member in our town for a while and I did it for eight years. I was appointed to it and it, it really was about helping your neighbors. And that was whether it's getting the leaves picked up or figuring out what's the best way to get the potholes covered, fixed, you know, a new development. Uh, what is a realistic cost? And when somebody come in with some new proposal, I was the one going, mm, are you, re- okay, why? What, what's the, di- what's the upside? What's the downside? Who's getting, who's making money off our people on this? And really asking the questions like that. But what it really came down to was you're helping your neighbors. And that's, that's the really enjoyable part. That's a, it's a gratifying part to be able to help. Um, you know, somebody calls over, I, I, I use my cell phone number. 
and I would just pass it out to all the neighbors. And I got a phone call one day. This guy said, uh, it, "Is this a is this a voicemail?" I said, "No, this is this is Charles." And he's like, "You mean this is Charles Tassel?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Can I help you with something?" He said, "I I just didn't expect to actually go to a person. I thought this would go to a voicemail somewhere, and I'd never hear again." So what can I help you with, sir? <laughs> you know? He's going to let you have it on the voicemail. What was that? What was that? He's like, well, there's 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 this issue going on. I said, well, yeah, there's this. And I said, it's and what it was was there was a construction issue, and you know one of those things where waterworks. If you've ever seen this, waterworks comes in and does a project, and then the roads tore up for X period of time while they're waiting for the rest of the paving to come in. But nobody communicated that with the residents, so mm-hmm. the residents are like, are we left with this road this way? It's like, no, 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 that is not happening. Here's what's happening. It's like, thank you. And that little bit of communication and you're helping neighbors. And that's that's the beauty of, you know, being at a local level and being involved in politics. Yeah. I agree with that. I think also what holds a lot of people back is you're really putting yourself out there, like really putting yourself on the line when you're in politics. Yeah. Well, it, it, it shines a bright light on you. It, it does. Mm-hmm. It's it's living in a goldfish barrel, mm-hmm. you know, a bowl, not barrel. It's a bowl. Um, but <laughs> it might it, feel it, like a barrel. They're shooting fish in it. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes <laughs> you're that fish. But and and it was interesting because you know you, when you're in a small community, if you have three or four people show up to a meeting, you're like you're all looking at each other like, oh, something's wrong. What happened? Why? You know. And when you have twenty people show up, and what's interesting is typically it's misinformation. Somebody's got some misinformation out there and it's like, okay, well, we're going to have public hearing time, but first we want to make sure that everybody understands this is what's going on. Oh, and you can just feel the tension drop out of the room. Mm. Ah, okay. So can we ask a question on this? Sure. Come on up, you know, and work through the process. And when you can do that, you really solve a lot of problems and can, you know, again, good communication. Just like with, you know, property owners and residents and residents and property owners, it's the same with politics. And if politicians communicate properly, they become more statesmen and it becomes much more effective for everyone. Yeah, that's very true. And then you can you can talk across party lines like you were saying earlier and actually get somewhere. That's correct. When we when we talk with each other, we find that we have more in common typically than what than differences. Uh, there's there's a huge amount of agreement. Now, there are some disagreements and there are disagreeable people. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the things to weed out. And and I will say this, in one sense, weed them out of your life because that bitterness will either, you know, it's like you tell your kids, and we forget this as we get older, if you're hanging around that bitterness, it's going to in fact affect your life and impact your life and you will start to reflect that. So, you need to isolate from some of them. Now there are times you have to deal with them and that's one thing, but understand mentally going in, I've got to deal with this bitter person. I need to go through these issues and then I'm moving on mm-hmm. and I'm going to set that aside and, and go on with my life. Mm-hmm. I like how you compared that to landlords and tenants too, because that's very true. Communication is so important and there's a lot of times where you have to deal with it and set it aside. It, it's, you know, when, when COVID first started, we did a, a kind of general call out to everyone and one of the things I talked about was most of us are entrepreneurs and we are self-starters. A lot of people are not. And when somebody says, okay, by the way, you need to stay home. You can't come in for your job. Sounds like the world's going to end because everything's ceasing. There's people who panic and shut down. Mm -hmm. And that was reaching out to them and saying, hey, 
It's going to be okay. Here's our number. Make sure we're communicating and doing that. And sometimes those were phone calls. And I heard from a number of property owners who said, man, that made a world of difference, you know, from building up friendships to loyalty to just, it helped resolve issues before they became issues, you know, and those of us in real estate know that if the $5 issue isn't handled, it becomes a $50 issue and then it becomes a $500 issue. So whether it's a leak in a roof or whatever, you've got to address them quick. I tell you what, the, the, the COVID timeframe was just really impactful for us because that's when I actually took over the RIA. And it was April, uh, April 2020. Hmm. So the timing couldn't have been any better. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Yeah. Wow. Luckily, we didn't have all the shutdowns that um, mm-hmm. to the extreme that it was around the country. Now, we were still in lockdown in many cases and a lot of bus- all, most businesses were closed. Mm-hmm. But we really made the point during that time that the, well, I made the decision at the time. It's like, well, we're going to keep this RIA going even if it was a limited number of people allowed. And we just made the drastic decision to say, hey, we're going to live stream everything for free. Mm-hmm. But the people that were comfortable with coming in are welcome still to come in. And we'll just follow whatever the guidelines are at that, at that time. I think people appreciated it so much. I, I, think, it's the sole like, re- I think it's the sole reason we grew so yeah. fast. It, it is. You know, we did a, a couple of golf outings. And again, it was outside. So we could do that. And one of the first ones we hosted, people, we said, are we even going to do this? You know, are, are people even going to show up? We were overwhelmed with participants and in, in, in ways that we hadn't had before because people were like, oh, it's a golf audience. And they go, this is one of the few that actually showed up. So our fundraiser went really well <laughs> and, and better than we expected. And people just said, thank you. You know, thank you for doing this. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to get out. And, and in somewhat, we're social creatures. So being able to mix and meet is important. And I think that's, you know, we overlooked that even in our digital age, thinking that we're going to, oh, the digital, eh, not so sure it will cover all that. So yeah, we, we did a local uh, golf outing last year Mm -hmm. and we were really worried about the attendance Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, we sold out every ticket. Plus we could have sold out, I think 17 more carts. (laughs) That's Um, awesome. And we, we raised uh, $26,000, I think was the final number we raised for uh, local uh, homeless shelters that, for children. Yeah. And so that's awesome. I, I was actually shocked. Charles, how has COVID changed the way that the, the local RIAs look nowadays? Has it changed the platform? It, it has. Um, definitely the digital has been fully engaged. And, and that means different things in different areas. Some areas, you know, we're, we're in, what, April of 22. Mm-hmm. Some places are still opening up. And they've been digital and will continue to be digital. And I think you're going to see hybrid aspects of it from podcasts to Zoom calls still going and ongoing. Sometimes it's just easier because you've got so much distance to cover. And it's easier to do some meetings with people at a, that are all spread out and we're comfortable with it now. So that's one side of it. But there's still a desire at some level to meet, to look at each other. You know, 70% of our communication is nonverbals. Well, if only I can, if I can only see your face. And I'm, I'm limited on that, you know, or a lot of people do the, you know, the rude thing, shut their video off. It's like, okay, unless you're doing that because your video is, you know, sketchy and you've got some mild coverage or connection, you're in the room, show up, be there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to say, excuse me for a minute and shut off and go do something, come back and turn it back on. But if you're on video you should be there. It's a way of participating. It lets the speakers know they can see, they can get some feedback because, you know, whether it's, I think comedians are really good at talking about this. They like to see the audience. They like to hear the audience. In fact, they were some of the first people I thought was interested. They were giving feedback saying, 
so good to be out again. Unless you're uh, Chris Rock. Uh, well, <laughs> not <laughs> all guy. feedback is good feedback. We'll leave it at that. But, so, oh, my gosh. But, but the, the whole idea of being able to engage, and you're going to see ongoing hybrid. You're going to see ongoing digital aspects, but you're going to see more people coming back together. Now, the other piece that's been interesting, and we've done some s- surveys on this and a little bit of studying, is people who've been in our business for 15 years or more, we're seeing up to 30% of them saying, hey, I'm, I'm selling off. Now, part of it's because of the market going up. Part of it is because of some aspect of, okay, the, the rules are getting so difficult, whether it's the eviction moratoria, I can't get somebody out, the, the, the government's just against me entirely. And in some areas, that is the case. To the other side, it's being older and saying, it's not worth my risk. My health is not worth going out on this. So I'm just selling off the portfolio. Um, some of them sold them off to single families because let's face it, single family homes are, you know, if you bought in at 10, 20 years ago and it's been paid off, it might be the time to cash in. So that's some things to consider as well. Well, I know we, I, we've had an ongoing conversation with Owen and he's sold off a handful of his properties for the very first time just to have some cash in pocket in preparation for whatever might happen. Mm-hmm. Are, are, Jerry, are you taking those steps right now? Yeah, we are. We are selling Hopefully you, Ted, will be selling a couple of our properties as well. And then and then we are refinancing some while we still can pull cash out because mm-hmm. banks are changing those rules every day. But we're refinancing some that perform well so that we can have that cash. Also, when the real estate market changes, there is so much opportunity to buy. And so preparing for that. Um yeah. I say it's it's you know Sun Tzu's uh, <laughs> comment about fish in troubled waters. You know the waters are roiling, and they have been for a couple of years now. And so, make sure you're not you know your boat's not on top of the rocks instead of the water. But understand that with something like you know the the, the economy we're in, the transition we're in, we're entrepreneurs. We look for those. Where is there some sort of uh, difference in value, difference in quality? That's where we want to make our play. And that again, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. You've got to have a team. You've got to know local folks and being plugged in at that local level so you can reach out and go, what do you mean there's that area is the police aren't even going there anymore? Oh, mm-hmm. maybe I'm not going to go ahead and buy in that area versus, mm-hmm. oh, there's a new development coming here. How'd you hear that? Well, I heard a rumor from a friend and you know what? I think I am going to go ahead and buy that little piece that I was looking at. Those are some things you can do. And that's that's where having the team and the network that you can't always do over Zoom, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. That's where meeting in person and having those personal connections is so important. That's one of the things that I love about the RIA being national and in so many locations. We, I, I really only invest in this general area, but we, we did buy our first property in Florida through a friend of ours who used to own the RIA. And if we do more stuff, we will attend the RIAs to mm-hmm. meet the people. The contractor who's flipping that house is a member of the RIA. So that's how we met him down there. And having those resources is incredible. Also, the training. I mm-hmm. started my business when the real estate market crashed in 2008. I lived in Arizona and I was a realtor, but I really started growing my business through short sales. When 50% of the realtors were getting out, we were just pivoting. And I love that, you know, I guess a downturning market doesn't bother me because I know what we can just go right back into that. And I love that there's resources for people to learn how to handle that sort of thing. 
Absolutely. And in fact, that's one of the things from people getting in the business and learning it. I was joking with Ted. There's people who go ROI. What does that mean mm-hmm. again? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's perfectly fine. Not, not everybody is going to know what that actually means, how it works. And what is it? Is it an internal? Is it an external? Is it gross? Is it net? How do you handle those kind of things? And that's what should you expect? And what are you comfortable with? My, my partners and I, we joke around like, I want to make sure there's enough room that when I buy this thing, I can make multiple mistakes because I will and still be okay. You know, that's a great it, way to look at it. Know, it we, we joke around that pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I don't need to get, you know, filthy rich off of one. It's, I need some good, steady single hits, maybe a double here or there. Do that and I can build and grow. And that's, that's the steady side that we're looking at. Nice. It's, uh, is, I'm sorry. I just want to grow on that real quick. Is there, is that part of the reason you've chosen to diversify your portfolio so much? It's just everything that's going on. Cause I know you mentioned at some point you, you've had, you know, 250 plus units, but you've, but now, as I said in the introduction, you're, you're, you're doing single families, you're investing in the bank, you got retail ventures, car washes. I mean, you're doing a little bit of everything. It's not just single families or, or multifamilies. Well, and it is, and it's, it's also putting money to work. So, you know, one of those, you know, buildings that we said, we're never selling this, this is great. It's, it does very well. Um, but when the right offer comes in and you're both looking at each other, like, I, I can't turn that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So we'll sell that and we'll put the money to work in other places. And, you know, one of the disappointing things is I, I got an email or I should say a text from a couple of the former residents who are like, in all capitals, your residents want you back. It's like, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. And it's like, oh, I feel bad for them. But uh, there's a business decision that had to be made. Mm-hmm. And we moved on. And now we're putting money to work in other places from, again, whether it's the car washes, investing in bank, um, investing in some other properties and doing kind of the hard money side of saying, oh, I'll, I'll invest in that. And then you're going to pay me back a return. Okay. Well, there's a chance that you might buy that property back. You might have a full cycle go through. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We and, and I was talking with Ted about this. And this is one of the advantages. If you're a local investor and you're watching real estate. Watch the cycles because when the out of town money comes in, I call it the, you know, the coastal money. We're dealing with that right now here. Mm -hmm. You know, they get priced out on the coast and they're looking at two caps, one caps. And it's like, are you kidding me? Well, they come here and they go, these are great prices. I can buy this. And at their management level, they're like, well, we'll bump the rates a couple hundred bucks. Well, in Cincinnati, you bump the rents over 50 bucks. People are moving. And so there's this whole process of, okay, at, at what point does the property then start to go, huh, occupancy starts to drop, maintenance starts to set aside, and over this couple-year period, then the city starts to go, wait a second, I'm going to send some inspectors out there, we're getting complaints, and the next manager comes in and says, this isn't help on our portfolio, we need to get rid of this property. They sell it, and right back to a local investor who can come in and pick it up at a good rate. And that's that's what we want to do. So if it's out of price right now, it's out of your range, keep an eye on it, it may come back. It's like you and you're getting your uh, condo, your townhouses sold back to you that, that, that we, we sold a couple years ago. We are. <laughs> That's awesome. Not at, not at the bottom of the market, <laughs> but at a, at a decent price. 